What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, June the 13th, 2022. It's episode 119 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you watch along over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernier Show, you will get this episode along with the 118 prior. And as always, please rate review, subscribe. If you're over on YouTube, make sure the bell icon is lit up. That way you get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. This show, The Players Pod, Horse Player Happy Hour, which will be back again this coming Thursday. Myself, PTF. We had a really good turnout last Thursday. It was an all-Belmont card. Uh, This week, things should be a little bit more, uh, a bit of a, a variety, as we typically do for the happy hours. But if you have not got involved, Please go and check it out, horseplayers.com. It's a $20 buy-in. Uh, the juice goes to a good cause, Thoroughbred Aftercare, which is you know very high on all of our priority lists in the world of horse racing. We want to make sure that once the horse's job on the track is done, they have a safe place to go. So be sure to come on over and, and join us at 4 o'clock Eastern on the Breeders' Cup social channel, on the In the Money Media social channel. We go out there, we have fun for about an hour, we riff about a number of different things, the contest races, races going on, perhaps some performances we saw from this past weekend, which I'll dive into here momentarily, uh, and we'll talk about just racing in general. We take questions and comments from those of you that listen and uh, view along as well. So be sure to join us at 4 o'clock Eastern on the Breeders' Cup and the In The Money Media social channels, and be sure to join the contest over on horseplayers.com. $20 buy-in. It all goes to a good cause. You can get involved, and you can win some some good prizes. I mean, look, we're giving out two $10,000 BCBC seats. Um, I don't know. If I were eligible, I'd be playing, but that's just me. Uh, before we get into this week's show, we're going to be looking at the stakes action from Belmont Park this past weekend. Not going to do wild deep dives into all the races, but... We'll go over the figs, talk about some of the sort of observations from the weekend, maybe some interesting discrepancies and what they may mean going forward, what they might not mean, just purely speculation. Uh, we'll also dive into the Stanley Cup final, which kicks off on Wednesday night. I'll give you a quick pick there and an option for game one itself. And then the U.S. Open at Brookline coming up this weekend, the country club. Uh, you know, I wish I could get down there, but, you know, with the baby and we've got family coming up for the weekend uh, and the weather looks, if we're being honest, a little meh, a little on the dodgy side. I will not be going down there, but um, the U.S. Open is always one of the best tournaments and on the heels of all this live golf stuff that's going on and, you know, the the PGA Tour, it's not splintering, but it's it's certainly, this is the most turbulent it's been in quite some time. Uh, the U.S. Open will be a very, very interesting tournament in and of itself. Uh, the venue itself, very interesting to see how Brookline plays, the country club. But uh, more importantly, we finally get all the players back together. And you've already heard Phil Mickelson. He had his first, uh, I guess, presser, if you want to call it that. Just sort of a, a bit of a quick, you know, throw out a statement and go from there kind of thing. But I'm sure he'll be pressed as the week goes on, as will Dustin Johnson and some of the other guys that have defected from the PGA Tour. And again, you know, put it all aside, just the idea that you don't have all the best playing in one area, not necessarily a great thing, but uh, it's it's early days with all the things that are going on. So we'll see how it all shakes down, but we'll dive into the third major on the men's calendar uh, at the end of this show, give you a pick 
Might be a familiar one. Hopefully we can get some redemption based on the last time I talked about this fella. But first things first, we gotta pay some bills here. And let's start off with our friends at BetMakers. Fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park. And the early returns are fantastic with 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Soon, fixed odds wagering will be available throughout the state of New Jersey. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands. The odds you bet are the odds you get. You'll continue to hear more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In The Money media network throughout the season. Woodbine, upcoming key races on the road to the Woodbine Oaks and the Queen's Plate include the Grade 3 $150,000 Celine and the Grade 3 $150,000 Marine Stakes. The one mile and one sixteenth events are going to be taking place on Saturday, July the 2nd. And for those of you that were curious, the initial Queen's Plate power rankings are out and Messier tops the list. Messier, the horse that was... Very, very prominent in the Kentucky Derby with that wild pace scenario signed on. He is an Ontario bred, and hopefully we will see him north of the border at Woodbine. Uh, One of my favorite tracks. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Great place to get up to if you've never been. Um, I think from a vantage standpoint, being able to see different things, uh, it's a unique configuration compared to what we are accustomed to with most of our North American, or I say North American, most of our U.S.-based tracks. Uh, with the turf course on the outside, the main track on the inside. Uh, of course, the main track at Woodbine is synthetic, but uh, really just a fun place to get up to. You're, you're about 10 minutes outside of downtown uh, Toronto. Uh, the, the airport is right there. Many reasons to get up to Woodbine if you have not done so already. And last but not least, our friends at Adelphi. Adelphi Racing Club. It's a racing club of like-minded people who enjoy horse racing and the camaraderie of being a part of something bigger than themselves. It is a true community. Adelphi's founding partners have all owned horses in other partnerships and syndicates as well as on their own, and the overarching goal with Adelphi is to blend the benefits of solo ownership without the administrative hassle with the thrill of the partnership experience. Adelphi partners enjoy a truly unique interactive ownership experience with direct one-to-one access to all members of the team. Adelphi offers a fiscally sustainable approach to horse ownership through its patient mid-market acquisition strategy making yearling purchases in the $75,000 to $150,000 range, which offers partners a chance to compete at the highest levels of the game while doing so in a responsible manner and allowing for long-term participation in the sport. Adelphi has very limited remaining shares available in a couple of exciting two-year-old prospects, including a New York bred colt by the red-hot sire Lauban named Gem Mint 10, who was already shipped to trainer Ray Handel's barn at Belmont Park. Uh, the colt has done nothing wrong since arriving in New York, and he's on target to make an earlier two-year-old debut at the Belmont Spring Meet or up north at Saratoga. And Adelphi also has limited shares available in a taproot colt named Magistrate, who is currently training down at Kinsman Farm in Ocala and will be shipping to the Christophe Clement Barn later this spring. The colt is bred and built to run all day long and creates an exciting sort of classic distance prospect going forward. Again, join the club you're looking for ways to get in touch with Adelphi. Let's start with the website, adelphiracing.com. Email matt at adelphiracing.com. And on social media, first Instagram, at adelphi underscore racing. And on Twitter, at Adelphi Club. Now let's pivot. That's the future, possibly, with Adelphi Racing Club. We've talked about the future with the clean, the, the, the Queen's Plate. The Queen's Plate. Races like that. The Woodbine Oaks. Let's shift gears and look back a little bit. What happened this past weekend? 
We had a big day at Belmont Park on Saturday. The Belmont Stakes, 154th running. But more importantly, you saw some performances that could potentially give you an inkling of what's still to come down the road. Maybe we've got some superstars we've got to talk about. Let's start with the Belmont Stakes. Mo Donegal gets the job done. And this is probably, from a numbers standpoint, the one that is the most intriguing. Or one of two. Because the Brooklyn was run at a mile and a half earlier in the day. And without having the chart up, I believe there's roughly an 11-length difference in the times. The Brooklyn was 2.30 and change. The Belmont was 28 and change. Uh, Mo Donegal earns a 98 buyer in a 127 time form US rating. Just on the final time, the pace adjusted number is the same, 127. Um, Fearless earns a 95 buyer in a 116 time form US rating, 116 pace adjusted as well. So you have about a 20 point differential with the Fearless number, yet you have nearly a 30 point differential between the buyer for the Belmont and the Timeform US rating. So I reached out to someone who is very knowledgeable, trustworthy resource, someone who knows what's going on. And I just asked flat out, uh, what's the, what was the sort of backstory with the figs, specifically for the Belmont? And the logic was, how likely is it that, based on the time anyway, that Mo Donegal ran a, a 108 or a 109 buyer. And Nest ran a 105 or a 106 or whatever it would have been. How likely is it? And, you know, especially when you look at Fearless and what he did and what that overall group of runners did, it seems much more likely that Mo Donegal ran something in the high 90, low 100 range. And Fearless, despite the fact that the clock would suggest they ran, you know, they, they would have run figs in the low to mid 80s. For how consistent Fearless is, he probably ran something close to his normal, mid 90. So on the clock, yes, Mo Donegal did run something off the charts fast. Because the variant was very consistent throughout the day. There was really no two ways around it. Uh, but there was a bit of subjectivity that comes into it. And again, how likely is it that Mo Donegal improved his buyer so significantly in this race? Is it possible? Sure. Likely? Debatable. Nest would have improved north of 10 points. Skippy Longstocking would have improved something like seven or eight points. Uh, so now to be fair, Timeform US basically would back up the idea that Mo Donegal ran something in the ballpark of 11 points, a career top. Uh, 127 time form US rating that would translate to roughly a 107 buyer. Uh, again, his career best buyer leading into the Belmont was a 96. So, you know, you need to decide as the handicapper which number you want to buy into. My heart of hearts tends to agree with the buyer number, despite the fact that the clock is very cut and dry that either one of them ran really, really fast or one of them ran really, really slow. Something that needs to get factored into that though, and I know it's a final time fig as far as the buyers are concerned, but the pace in the Brooklyn 
was that of a snail's. 50 and change for a half. You know, it's going to be very difficult to earn a big fig with a slow pace. You would have thought they would finish better than that they than they did. Uh, but it is what it is. And I think that's one where you look at it and go, how likely is it that that entire field of solid older horses, not spectacular, but solid, all ran so poorly that they would have earned an 84 or an 85 buyer, especially, and this is basing on the idea that Mo Donegal ran a 98, a 99, or a 100 buyer, somewhere in that ballpark. Doesn't seem very likely. On the flip side, if Fearless and company earn that mid-90 buyer, how likely is it that Mo Donegal and Nest and Skippy Longstocking and X, Y, and Z all earn buyers up into the, the mid-100s? The only thing that I would throw out as uh, just purely uh, something of note, and this is my observation, if you go back uh, post-Wood Memorial, I brought up the fact that I thought it was a bit odd that more than half the field ran a career best buyer. And typically, I, I, I find it, not hard to believe, but very unlikely that more than half of a field runs a career best. Now, having said that, I said that at the time, Mo Donegal comes back in the Kentucky Derby, basically equals the number that he earned in the wood, more or less. I mean, from a buyer standpoint, he earned, you know, paired up 96s. But early voting then came back and improved what? nine points, 10 points, something like that. So if, if he got to a 105, keep in mind, Skippy Longstocking was also in that race. Mo Donegal moving to, let's call it a 106, 107. Skippy moving to a 100 for a horse that hadn't taken a backward step in any of his last three or four starts. You know, it at first glance it would seem unlikely, but not impossible. So there's two scenarios here that either A, this three-year-old crop has slowly seen more major horses show up. Early voting. Took some time post wood, comes back does what he does in Baltimore, earns the big fig. We've seen Epicenter a few different times. He's been consistently good, consistently low 100 buyer, which if we're being honest, look back to last year when we all thought that three-year-old crop was the bee's knees. Prior to the Belmont, none of them had run overly fast. They ran in that sort of 100 range from a buyer standpoint. So Epicenter, who's been running 100s for months now, it, that almost becomes old hat where you look at it and you're like, all right, well, it's not that impressive. You've been doing it for a long time. But you get a fresh face like early voting who earns a 105. Depending on what you want to do with these figs, Mo Donegal, perhaps there's a scenario that he ran a 107, which again, that, that in and of itself seems a bit far-fetched to me, specifically when that means that Nest would have needed to run something in the low to mid 100 range is it 
Is it possible? Of course it's possible. Anything's possible. Is it likely? At a mile and a half? I know they're both, well, I, I guess Mo Donegal is bred for it. Nest is bred for it. Uh, but does it seem likely? <sighs> Boy, I mean, it, no. No. Is it possible? Of course. Having said that, Nest also effectively paired up by her tops. From her Ashland, which I believe was a 92, and her Kentucky Oaks was 91. So is it possible she moved up 10 points? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's going to be very interesting to see. The only way you're really truly going to get a gauge going forward is to see what these horses do coming out of this race. And it sounds like Mo Donegal could be going to the Jim Dandy along with early voting and along with Zandon. Um, epicenter, who knows? We'll find out what his story is. But there's more to this story than what we've got right now. We'll find out in time. I personally tend to lean much more toward the buyer being what it has been given. A, a 98, a high 90, call it a low 100 if you want. Again, we're splitting hairs if you're talking about one to two to three points. Uh, but I, I, I have a hard time believing that a group of horses as consistent as those older horses that ran in the Brooklyn, that all of them just had days where they couldn't run. That seems so unlikely to me. I mean, Fearless has consistently been a 95 to 100 horse for, what, the past year? Warrant, with the exception of that sanity to handicap, is basically a low to mid 90 horse. That's what he earned here, based on the buyer associates. Um, it, it seems so unlikely that the older horses ran so bad. And maybe it doesn't seem as unlikely that the three-year-olds jumped up so significantly, but it's still pretty unlikely. So I'm going to lean toward that side of things right now, acknowledging that Timeform US has this an exceptionally fast race, and based purely on the clock, it certainly is. It's the beauty of handicapping. You, as the handicapper, need to decide what you think. Uh, last thoughts on the Belmont. You know, I tried to hammer the point home on the broadcast, I think we talked about it two to three different times over the four hours that we were on. Uh, you needed to be within three lengths of the lead with a half mile to run. That was it, point blank. I was hopeful Barbara Road would be there, and as they were going into the first turn and Joel had him forward, I was like, sick, we got a chance. And then to be fair, I understand what Joel was thinking. You don't want to be hung five wide. He pulls back, tucks in. I said, all right, well, race is over for me. But for what it's worth... The horses that were within three lengths with a half mile to run were one, two, three, four at that time. And no, they didn't finish one, two, three, four. But those four horses were the horses that made up your superfecta. You, it's just it. At this point, I feel like it's it's it, write it down in pen. You got to be within that space. If you're not, you have zero chance to win the race. The only other thing I'll throw out there. I don't think it would have made the difference. And it's not a... It wasn't a poor ride by any stretch of the imagination. I'm curious what would have happened if Nest had Mo Donegal's trip. She was tucked down on the inside. Beautiful trip. Kind of pocketed up. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Mo Donegal gets the run. Nest has to wait, wait, wait. Finally, Jose looks over his shoulder. He's got a place to get out now. 
problem is Mo Donegal's already in full flight, gone. By the time she gets out, she kicks. Mo Donegal's already opened up a length or two, and she can't run him down. If you reverse those trips, I'd be very curious to know how the race turns out. Mo Donegal's final quarter was, I believe, two to three lengths faster, purely on time, than Nest's was. But again, you're, you've almost asked Nest to go full-blown turf horse at that point once you get her out and she you're trying to kick down the lane. Again, it's it's not a, a fault of anyone's. You know, it, it was a perfect trip. And truth be told, it was still a pretty damn good trip. It was just Mo Donegal was able to get the jump. If you if you reverse the trips, I'd be very curious to see if, if the same scenario plays out where Mo Donegal defeats Nest. But look, Todd Pletcher is the master at getting these horses ready to go for the Belmont. Good on Mike Rapoli and everyone else that's involved with these two horses. Uh, good on the Philly Nest. I thought it was just all around. Nice to see a horse that I've thought highly of all along continue on and do what she's doing. And good on the Ortiz brothers uh, running 1-2 in the Belmont. Now, we're going to zip through most of the rest of these races with the exception of one. Uh, <laughs> naturally, uh, Tribhuven, which is what we're going to go with now from a pronunciation standpoint. Those of you that have watched this show for more than a minute know that I picked this horse in this race, the Manhattan, last year at the top of the lane. Last year, it's the exact same scenario. The difference is this year, there's no domestic spending in the field to run you down. You needed an exceptionally talented horse in last year's race to go and get him. That wasn't in that race this year. And Tribhuvan pays $40. And I did not have him. Shame on me for, you know, going that route. I was under the impression they were going to ride him like a rabbit. And they did not. 49-1, and that is not riding him like a rabbit. That's just no one else wanting to go with you. So, okay. I mean, I guess it is what it is. 108 buyer, 125 time form US rating, uh, pace adjusted 126. It was a fast race. This is a good horse. They rode, or I, I, the rest of the field approached him like he was a bum. And he's not. He's shown that he can run. When he goes out on one way speed missions, typically to set it up for one of his stable mates, whether they're, you know, under the, the same ownership group or just one of Chad's other horses. Uh, yeah, like he, he packs it in because he's been going breakneck speed early on. When he's allowed to get out there and set a, a reasonable pace, he's a good horse. And who knows? I don't know what his main sort of game is going forward. Is he truly a mile and a half? Is he more a mile and a quarter? The problem is how many mile and a quarter opportunities are there? Uh, Tribuvin is a good horse. And I, I personally still don't believe that he's a need-to-lead type. I'm not saying you want to turn him back to a mile, but, I, you know, I, I just think he's a good horse. And look, again, shame on me. I was off him, uh, but he gets the job done. Good on him. I feel good that he's getting the just sort of admiration that he is. Casa Creed, cool horse. What else is there to say? He's a six to seven for a long specialist. He's really good at a mile, not quite among the best. Five, five and a half seems a little bit on the sharp side. I think you have to be pointing to that, though, if you're thinking Breeders' Cup time. I think he has a better chance at this point at five and a half than he does at a mile. I know he ran really well in the Breeders' Cup last year, and he's run really well in mile races in the past. I, I just, I, I think you have to try the five and a half. I know it's, it's quick, but that would be my call. 
His long-term goal, in my opinion, and I haven't read anything, would be the Woodbine Mile. Uh, I Saratoga, fine. I know we all love it, and I know Frances is involved, uh, and, and, and Lee Einseidler and, and everyone else. I just, uh, to me, he's a one-turn horse, and he was spectacular here. He ran really well in the Middle East. Try him in the Woodbine Mile, and then, you know, again, it's sharp. You're going to have to run in a Golden Pal in all likelihood, but I think the five and a half at uh, Keeneland, that's where I would go with Casa Creed long-term. Uh, Clarier, oh, by the way, at Casa Creed 102, buyer 122, time form U.S. rating, 119 pace adjusted. Clarier, 106 buyer, 126 time form U.S. rating, 126 pace adjusted. Uh, look, Latruska went out there. Search results went with her. I was, to be honest, I thought the scenario itself, I didn't have a problem with. Maybe they went a little quicker than I would have liked, but that was kind of what I had hoped, that search results would sort of flank Latruska for a while. You all but heard it. I think Britt was the one who did the interview during the show. Fausto Gutierrez didn't sound overly confident. And in my head, immediately, I was like, this is good, selfishly, because I like search results and I better. And I saw the fractions and I was like, all right, it's a little bit on the swift side, but, you know, take your chance. And she opened up, and she just couldn't quite hang on. And then you had the two four-year-olds in Malathot and Clarier run her down. Clarier wins the head bob. Everyone here knows I like Clarier better in the Breeders' Cup last year. She ran a bang-up race. She continues to get better and better. Um, You know, I, I, I just think overall the older females are really strong. I think it's a good group. Um, don't write Latruska off just yet. Yes, she does have an Achilles heel if somebody really wants to go with her. But guess what? If somebody's going to go with her, the whole thing's going to fall apart. And somebody from the back is going to come and take advantage. So between her, search results, who probably doesn't want to go much farther than this. This is a one-turn mile on the 16th. I would probably try to turn her back to 7 eighths and think Philly and Mare sprint. That's just me. Uh, Malathot, I think she probably wants every bit of a mile and a quarter. Certainly a mile and an eighth, two turns. Clarier, I think she can do either. Uh, although this may actually be slightly better than the mile and an eighth for her. Uh, I mean, don't forget Pauline's Pearl. Don't forget some of these other big, big fillies and mares that we've seen that they're, they're proper. You know, uh, she dares the devil. Maybe she's not what she once was, but she's still got a little bit of zip on the fastball. So older fillies and mares, I think a really good group. Jack Christopher is a superstar. Uh, I was... I was adamant that I was going to be against him, and based on what you've seen, that doesn't change. Uh, but what he's done on the racetrack has been nothing short of spectacular. 107 buyer, 127 time form U.S. rating, 124 pace adjusted. Uh, destroys a field going seven-eighths of a mile. They're going to go to the Haskell with him. And I'll be down there for NBC. That's... My, I've got Stephen Foster coming up in a few weeks, and then I've got the Haskell. Uh, I think at this point, the only thing that would prevent him or preclude him from winning that race is not being able to get two-turn mile and an eighth. What he's done on the track, right now anyway, I, I, I don't know that I can continue to question that. I questioned it last year as a two-year-old based on his breeding. And how he had run. He ran kind of like a horse, I said, with his hair on fire. Like, just getting out of the gate and going. 
these two races this year, while he's been prominent, I don't get that impression. I get the impression that he's just a much more completed project. He's much more mature, and damn, is he fast. He's very, very good. Uh, Jack Christopher is no joke, and he makes that three-year-old division. At some point, that acid test is going to present itself. Maybe it's the Haskell. Maybe it's the Travers, if he gets through the Haskell. But how far can he go? Because if distance doesn't become an issue for this horse, he is every bit as good, if not better, than uh, all but one, who we'll get to in a bit. Fearless already talked about. Regal Glory, again, I, I am guilty of it. I said it coming out of that Keeneland race. I didn't give her enough credit for what she's done on the track throughout her career. She was fantastic winning the Justa game with a 103 buyer, 123 time form US rating, actually ticked up to a 124 with the pace adjusted fig. Uh, again, she's just so much better than I ever gave her credit for. I'm guilty of sort of looking at her as um, lesser than compared to the some of the but again like for me a lot of it has to do with the fact that Chad has had so many immensely talented fillies and mares I, do I feel bad that I didn't you know immediately lump her in with Lady Eli and Rushing Fall and Uni and Sister Charlie no because I didn't think she was as good as them if anything she's gotten better as she's gotten older this was a spectacular performance and uh, I'll be very curious to see where we go from here. Uh, Regal Glory, no joke. Matareya, we'll wrap with her. 89 buyer, 112 time form US rating, same as the pace adjusted number. Uh, that race became extremely uh, uninteresting once Echo Zulu was a vet scratch. Apparently, according to Steve Asmussen, she x-rayed clean. Uh, be very curious to see where we go from there with her, what her next stop might be. Knock wood, hopefully she's healthy and sound. Um, but Echo Zulu doesn't go in at all, but, you know, gift wraps the grade one acorn from Matarea. But we save the best for last, as far as the racing is concerned. I, I don't know how much else there is to really say about Flightline. I had mentioned a few different times, how, how excited can I be for a horse that runs so infrequently? To no one's fault, he's just brittle. It is what it is, and I, I've thrown it out there in the past that you can almost be too fast for your own good. This freaking horse is above and beyond. And for... This has been the target for quite some time, going back to the Malibu on opening day at Santa Anita last year day after Christmas. And we haven't seen him since. For him to show up, break a hair on the slow side, get pinched off twice down the backside by Speaker's Corner and Junior Alvarado, which, by the way, I loved. Watching it live, I'm going, this, yes. It's not, you're not slamming the door on anybody. You're just, you're just making it tight enough where you can't go through. For that to happen twice... Pratt to then get Flightline out into the clear, have him loop up, going 45 to the half, eight and change for three quarters, and then draw off. And not only that, I think most people stopped at that and said, holy smokes, what do we got? He galloped out 100 in front of everybody. 
Here's the scariest thing, and this is all I'm really going to say. 112 buyer, 134 time form US rating, 137 pace adjusted. I put it out on Twitter. Um, can anyone name another horse or the last horse to start their career with four consecutive 105 or better buyers? Jay Privman, who contacted Dick Girardi, was the uh, one who sort of answered the question. Per Dick Girardi, quote, discreet cat with an asterisk of sorts. A 106 and then two races in Dubai, followed by 112, 115, 116, ending with the Cigar Mile in November of 2006. Here's my opinion of this horse. Was I a little dubious of him because he had never come out of California? Because he had never really faced upper echelon talent. I know Stiletto Boy was in that Malibu. He's not a one-turn horse. Yeah. I think you're supposed to go in with an element of skepticism until they prove that they can overcome adversity or they can overcome better talent or do it at a different track than where they're based. For this horse to do what he did on Saturday for John Sadler, I have no questions None, none, none. And this is why, and yes, it's a bit of subjectivity. I think he's going to be even better at two turns. Because he's so damn fast. You watch him finish and gallop out. He he hasn't taken a breath. Now, that may not be until the Breeders' Cup. I know the Pacific Classic has come up, but... You know, not to be rude, we just don't, we don't see this horse that that quick. So I'll be surprised if he shows up in the P Classic. The question then would be: Does he run in the Dirt Mile in the Breeders' Cup or the or the Breeders' Cup Classic? I'll tell you what: If he were my horse at this point right now, and I think this year is loaded with talent. On the high end. Yes, maybe it's to the detriment of field size, this, that, and the other. But I think we are in a very top-heavy sort of year in many divisions. I don't care if he doesn't run again until the Breeders' Cup. He's going two turns, and he's going a mile and a quarter. Because that's the only thing that would get this horse beat, is if he can't get a mile and a quarter. And based on what he's done and his breeding, I don't know that that would be an issue. I don't see another horse that can run with him. I was one championing for Jackie's Warrior to run in the Met. Jackie's Warrior probably would have gotten his face ripped off by this horse on Saturday. And that's talking about a horse that I think is probably the second or third best older horse in training, period. This horse is a freak of nature. I mentioned it on the broadcast that, and this is before the race, From a talent standpoint, he's there with Gunrunner. He's there with Arrowgate and American Pharaoh. He might be better than all of them. Flightline is a horse of a different color. He just is. And yes, I'm guilty of of waiting and saying, all right, let's see you do it away from California against better horses. He was tremendous on Saturday. He was the the headliner, the, the, the show stealer. 
Flightline is fabulous. 112 buyer, 134 time form US rating, 137 pace adjusted number, and that's with getting shut off twice and breaking a beat slow. I don't know what else there is to say. He's a special talent. And again, whether it is the P Classic or it's the Breeders' Cup, if I were involved, this horse, his next start is at a mile and a quarter. I know he's never gone two turns. I don't care. That's the only thing I think they can get him beat right now. I don't. I just don't think anybody else is in his league. He he is an exceptional, exceptional talent. And congratulations to John Sadler, Costa Ronis, everybody else involved, West Point. Um, I know there are a few other folks that are involved, and I apologize for not mentioning them. This this is an exceptional talent. Flightline wins the Met Mile in brilliant, brilliant style. Questions, comments, concerns about any of these races beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. I'm happy to talk about other horses that I did not get into uh, from these races, figs, where some of them may go, because guess what? Now it's going to get a little bit lean for a few weeks anyway until we get closer to the Foster and then the Haskell, but uh, maybe next week is a good opportunity for a little Q&A sort of thing. So again, thoughts about any of the races from Belmont Stakes Day beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now, let's shift into two other sports. Those of you that are only here for horse racing, you're free to go. If you're curious about a pick for the United States Open and the Stanley Cup Final, stick around. All right, let's quickly wrap this up. I know we were going to talk U.S. Open first. Let's talk Cup Final. Uh, Colorado and Tampa. I think Tampa's a better team. I just do. Top to bottom, I think they're very comparable even strength. Uh, on the power play, there's been a slight uptick for the Avs throughout the postseason. Uh, Tampa's numbers have more or less been static. I have, I don't want to say no faith in Colorado's goaltending, but Tampa clearly has the advantage when it comes to the backstop. If you factor that in and Colorado has any kind of a regression back to what they were on the power play during the regular season, I just think Tampa's a better team. I just, I just do. And the, the battle-hardened sort of nature of the squad uh, compared to Colorado's relative inexperience in, you know, on a stage like this, I think Tampa wins. They're a plus 150 for the series right now. And in game one, I'm going to write about it. I'm going to give it out a couple different places. I'm taking Tampa on the puck line in Colorado at plus 300. Book it. The United States Open at Brookline. I think it's going to be, the weather looks dodgy at best, windy, uh, could have some rain, greens, small, it's very, very New England. Uh, those of you that have never been up here or played golf up here, not a ton of room to work with, greens are yay big. Um, I think it's going to really benefit guys that can keep it sort of, you know, between the hash marks, uh, more or less anyway, guys that can really play in different conditions favors the guys that can strike it well yeah you're gonna need to putt but you know as uh, many people have pointed out truth be told winning on on tour or in a major comes down to who has a hot week on the green uh i'm going to go with don't laugh those of you that listened before the pga championship I know it didn't work then. I know he's been disqualified from an event since for 
painting some some shit on the face of his three wood or whatever it was, I'm going with Hideki again. I know, I know. Feel free. Laugh it up, laugh it up. The idiot picked Barbaro in the Belmont. Now he's picking Hideki Matsuyama again after a complete dud in the PGA. He's 40 to 1. I think he has all the things that you want in a guy to win an event like the U.S. Open. He competed very well at Wingfoot a few years ago when I was all over him. And no, he got, you know, he got sent to outer space on on Sunday, but he was right there going into the final round. That was before his Masters victory. I think he's put some things together. He had been playing well prior to the DQ. Again, DQ, not great, not great. But I think Hideki has the tools necessary to win a tournament like the U.S. Open at a venue like the Country Club at Brookline. So uh, Hideki at 40 to 1 is my call for the United States Open. Let me know what you think about the Stanley Cup final, the U.S. Open, the Belmont Stakes, the Met Mile, Flightline, any of the horses that ran on Saturday at Belmont Park. Heck, even the horses that ran on Friday at Belmont, Jackie's Warrior included. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Again, don't forget about Horseplayer Happy Hour on Thursday. Myself and PTF at 4 o'clock Eastern. NBA Finals, Game 5 tonight. Looking forward to that. Hopefully the C's can put a complete game together and take a 3-2 lead before they come back to Boston. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it. You know how to get a hold of me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt if you're looking for any written content over on NBCSportsEdge.com. Uh, and until next week, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 119 of the Matt Bernie Show. Oh, by the way, enjoy Royal Ascot if you're getting up early in the morning and playing. The Royal Meeting.